Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The Freedom of Limits, which was taught for Lent in 2021. Our culture speaks a lot about freedom, but usually assumes freedom is escaping any limitations. However, true freedom is found not in rejecting limits, but embracing the limits God has placed on us as His created image bearers. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Today's teaching is a little bit uh, harder, uh, a, a little bit more difficult, but I, I want to encourage us, you know, the truths that we just sang a few moments ago, I hope they resonate in you each and every day. I, I hope the miracle that you were in your tomb and dead and he spoke and called your name and brought you out, it needs to animate everything. It does not matter what's going on in our culture around us, that is bedrock truth. No one can change that. No one gets to vote on that. No one gets to try and alter that in any way. The truth is God has created you. He has redeemed you. And he has called you by his son and by his spirit. And so I I hope that will animate you as you go through uh, this week. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. This will be a text we're kind of unpacking a lot uh, during this time of Lent as we head towards Easter. And then we're also going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And we're going to be looking at our nature as body and soul, and then contrasting that with some things that are going on in the culture around us. So encourage you now, you can follow along on the screen. I'll be using the New International Version. Hear now the word of your creator and your sovereign Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God says to us, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. When uh, I was a young teenager, one of the people that became well-known was a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He died a few years ago, but uh, Solzhenitsyn was a Russian. He had served, in fact, with the Red Army in World War II. But after the war, he ran afoul of the Soviet authorities because in a private letter, he had criticized Stalin. And so he was sent to a gulag and spent eight years in the gulag. But Solzhenitsyn did not back down. He continued to explain what was going on. Uh, In fact, he wrote a number of works. Only one of them was authorized by the Russian government. The rest of them were kind of you know, printed in the West because he was becoming a hero. And in fact, he won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1970. Solzhenitsyn was a darling of the West until he was kicked out by the Russians and he came here and he started speaking here. 
And suddenly, they didn't like Solzhenitsyn so much because they thought he was just a rebel that was against the rules. What he discovered was he was against the shape that our modern world was taking. And he shocked everyone in a commencement lecture at at Harvard and then in a Templeton Prize lecture later when he critiqued the shape of the West. And two quotes out of his Templeton Prize lecture from 1983 are this. Today's world has reached a state which, if it had been described to preceding centuries, would have called forth the cry, this is the apocalypse. Yet we have grown used to this kind of world. We even feel at home in it. And then Solzhenitsyn said, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. See, Solzhenitsyn's message under it all wasn't just against communism. His message was the modern world has taken a shape that is out of touch with reality. It's out of touch with the way God has actually created the universe and the way we exist as human beings. And that was as true, he said, here in the West as it was in the East over in Soviet Russia. And so we're looking at a number of these problems. I bring him up as an example of somebody that as we're looking at these problems in this series, we're trying to look and understand what's the nature of reality. The God who created everything, how did he make it? How did he make us as human beings? And therefore, how do we find freedom? And today I want to talk about the fact that we are made body and soul and how that inhabits us as humans, and then kind of how we're responding to that in our culture. Well, the first thing to understand is, Scripture is quite clear, we are created as a fusion of body and soul. We are not just a soul that inhabits a body, we are the unity of body and soul. Notice in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, in Genesis 2, uh, God says to us, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. So the picture is that God very personally scoops us up and he makes our body. We have a body. And in fact, the body even pre-exists our soul. But it goes on and says, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. And so the picture here in Genesis chapter two is Adam doesn't exist until there is a body and until there is the breath of life, a soul, and then Adam is alive. And I love the, the particular picture. I mean, the, the, it's almost the language is very almost poetic where God scoops up the dust and then God directly breathes into Adam's nostrils. It's saying there is an intimate relationship in our creation between God and us. And it's saying quite clearly humanity is not a body. Humanity is not a soul. Humanity is a body and a soul that are in fusion with one another. And in fact, we're not given this information regarding any other creation of God. And so both the body and the soul are part of human nature, and they are both essential to what it means to be human. Now, this has been a struggle because down through history, groups have tended to want to either stress the body or the soul. They they want to kind of put down one of them, cut one of them off and act as if it is not important. In the early church, they had to deal with a number of heresies 
I mentioned Gnosticism recently in our series on 2 John, and Gnosticism was the heresy that said, well, we are a soul, we're trapped in a body, the body is the prison house of the soul, and the whole goal of all of this is to get out of the body. And the church rightly, utterly rejected that and said, that's not a twist on Christianity, that's a complete repudiation of the faith. But there were other groups that came along, and these were all in what was known as the Christological Controversies where the church had to again and again and again deal with people who either tried to deny the deity of Christ or the humanity of Christ, and the church had to say, no, he is fully, truly, 100% God and fully, truly, 100% human. That means he had a real body. It didn't appear to be a body. He had a real human soul. It wasn't kind of like a human soul. It was a full human soul because they said if you lose this, you lose everything. Humanity is body and soul. And that means freedom means we need to embrace both the dignity but also the limits of what it means to be that type of creature, a creature who is body and soul. Angels are just spirits. Animals are bodies, you know, rocks are bodies and have nothing else in them. We're not that kind of creature. We are a creature that is body and soul, and so freedom is going to be predicated on that. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, we learn something else, and this is that human nature as body and soul includes the fact that we are male or female. This is tied to the fact that we are body and soul. So notice in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, we're told, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him male and and female, he created them. And then God said to them, blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So notice here we're told quite clearly, Adam and Eve didn't decide, hey, I'll call myself male, you call yourself female. God assigned male and female. It is inherent in the creation. And it means that sex, male and female, is not a social construct. It's not a creation of human society or culture. It's not a convenient way we like to speak about it, but rather it is inherent to our very identity as created by God. You can no more understand humanity apart from male and female than you can apart from body and soul. It's not possible. And notice in Genesis chapter 1, the very first command is to do what? Be fruitful and increase in number. Now, it's been a number of years since I had sexual education in school. Perhaps someone can help me out. What what is required if there's going to be reproduction? What do I have to have? A male and a female. It doesn't happen otherwise. Even with all of our technology, you still have to trace it back to a male and a female. You literally cannot fulfill the very first command given by God apart from male and female. Procreation, which is actually a more biblical term, requires this, and so we can't fulfill our command and call from God apart from being male and female. Now, this is not a teaching here, and no one ever suggested that it was, but I want to be clear. When it says God made us male and female, it does not mean that each and every one of us is male and female. It means that there are males and there are females. That is the clear teaching of Scripture throughout. And 
our maleness and our femaleness are assigned by God to us in our bodies and are essential to our identity. Now, why I say this is because procreation, reproduction, is a bodily function, not a soul function. My soul did not produce for children. My body was involved in producing for children. It's also seen as you move down in Genesis chapter 2. See, we have this interesting thing in Genesis where in Genesis 1, we kind of get a big overview of all of creation. And there's a few verses about humanity. In Genesis chapter 2, it drills down from another angle and it looks specifically at the creation of humanity. And so there we learn that actually God made Adam first, scooping him out of the dust of the ground, and then brought forth Eve later for a particular reason in his creation. And notice what happens is God takes part of Adam's body to form Eve's body. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 to 24, we read this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, or the Hebrew word can mean his side, and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. First off, the entire passage there makes no sense if you try and remove sexuality. The whole thing is speaking of mothers and fathers and males and females and men and women and marriage and all of this, and it's all tied together. Secondly, notice it does not say God took part of Adam's soul to make Eve. He takes part of his body, and it specifically says he closed up the flesh after he did that. Notice Adam's immediate response is not soul of my soul, it's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then furthermore, we read man and woman are united in marriage, and very interestingly, it doesn't say they become one soul, it says they become one flesh. Okay, all of this is here to point out to us that our identity includes male and female. And to be sure, my maleness, and for the ladies here, your femaleness does penetrate down into your soul. But it is primarily located and always revealed in my body. What my body says I am, I am. I am what I am. Okay, that's what the scripture would be teaching us. And so it means true freedom can only be found when I'm embracing my full humanity, body and soul, and embracing my identity as given by God as male or female. Now, what I want us to look at and think through for a few moments is how our culture has been at war with this. Part of what I'm trying to get across in this series is for us to understand that we're chasing freedom, but we're doing it in all the wrong ways. Okay, We're looking for freedom in all the wrong places. And in this case, what we're doing is what we think is freedom is actually slavery because we are dividing what God has joined. I'm using the phrase that Jesus did referring to marriage, which, by the way, he went back to the very text we're looking at and said, you can't do it. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not 
man separate. That's true of marriage, but it's true of anything else. If you want to find yourself in trouble, take what God has put together and try and separate it apart. That's a life principle. And so here, what we find is humanity is on a course of trying to divide body and soul and either deny or restrict the place of one or the other. So for example, some deny the place of the soul in our humanity. And I'll give several different groups. One group is what are known as materialists or philosophical materialism. This is people who, as its name would mean, they don't mean that you just, you know, you, you uh, are a materialist in the sense that you like money. They mean, they say, matter is all there is. So they say it's very, very simple how you are body and soul. There is no such thing as a soul. You are cosmic dust, period, nothing else exists. Now, every one of these philosophies I want to just go ahead and point out right now, people don't live consistent with them, okay? You can't live as a consistent philosophical materialist. When that philosophical materialist goes home and his wife hands him his newborn child, he does not say, oh, my bit of cosmic dust is reacting to this little bit of, that's not the way they talk. Because you can't live that way. It's not reality. Suddenly, they're having very non-material things go on. And if you try and say, oh, it's just chemicals spreading and the synapses firing off in your body, they know it's not true. But they'll talk that way. And they'll say that's all we are. And what that means is our genetics absolutely control our behavior. Genetics is destiny. Whatever your body tells you to do, you do, because you don't have any other choice. A second group that does this was founded by a guy named B.F. Skinner. He's the most famous, and it was called the behaviorist. The behaviorist also, in essence, denied the human soul, but what they did was, in behaviorism, they say, it's the environment that uh, molds your behavior. Uh, Skinner actually wrote one of his more famous books is Beyond Freedom and Dignity. You need to understand, you need to get beyond the ideas of freedom and dignity. They're an illusion. They don't exist. You have no dignity as a human being. You're just a bunch of cosmic dust. And you don't really have freedom. I know you think you do, but you're basically Pavlov's dogs. Whatever is happening around you the environmental factors are conditioning you and you just fire off and you do them because that's the way your body works. Uh, Skinner actually said this, we have not yet seen what man can make of man. Actually, we have. It's called the gulags. It's called the concentration camps. We've seen what man makes of man. It's destruction. It's death. It's slavery. It is actually, to quote C.S. Lewis, it's the abolition of man is exactly what it becomes. But you don't have a soul. You're just going to do what you're going to do. Third group, and this is uh, more current, the original gay rights movement in our culture. And this is where we start to see body and soul and our sexuality intersect. This is originally, it may seem hard for you to remember now, But just that long period of five years ago, how marriage, gay marriage, was argued in was, there's no choice here. You're born this way. 
you're born heterosexual or you are born homosexual and you have no choice. It is a matter of birth. And you remember there was a lot of talk about we're, we're close to finding or we think we may have found the gay gene. Okay, you don't hear this anymore. You're not going to read this in Newsweek anymore because we're going to see in a few minutes we completely flopped the philosophy. And this is 1984. We've always been at war with Eurasia. We've always been lined up with East Asia, even though 10 minutes ago it was not that way. We expect you to forget what we said 10 minutes ago. Okay, but this was what the argument was. People are born one way or another, and it requires following these natural bodily dispositions. The musician of the moment when this was all going on was Lady Gaga. And you may remember Lady Gaga had a famous album that was called Born This Way. There's no choice. You're born this way, and you act this way. And this is exactly what underlies the Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell, which is what legalized gay marriage is. You can't expect people to act otherwise because it is simply a bodily function and they have to follow it. So in all of these ideas, humans are simply our bodies and our genetics. We don't really have the dignity of a soul that can determine what actions to follow. And when you speak to them and say, well, maybe you have a certain predisposition, but you can choose. Choosing is nonsensical in a world where you have removed the human soul. I'm just following along with what my genetics do. In this worldview, biology trumps morality. And anyone who appeals to a higher moral law is simply a bigot, because such things don't exist. There's only the material universe. Now, needless to say, the Scripture teaches the reality of the human soul, the dignity of the human soul, and the fact that the human soul can decide to follow the impulses of the body, or it can choose to reject those impulses and choose to align itself with a higher moral law. But we are not Pavlov's dogs. We are not bound to follow whatever desire we would have. Rather, we can choose. And so the freedom of rejecting the human soul simply leads to the bondage of following the dictates of our body or the mandates of society. You just kind of go along with the program. It ends up being the abolition of man. The second way that we do this is some people say, and if you look historically, you know, you, you see these things that go back and forth. For example, you know, rationalism, which was all about reason and gave no place to emotion, is followed by romanticism, which is all about emotions and wants to deny the place of reason. This is what we do. We just flop back and forth rather than following God's way. Well, the opposite error comes forth, and it's people that deny the place of the body in our humanity. Now, again, I've mentioned Gnosticism. I spoke about this, you know, at length. I won't go back into it today. But, but this idea of denigrating the body, this Gnostic idea, has deep, deep roots in American culture. It has been building in uh, the entire West really since the time of the Enlightenment. Many different Enlightenment thinkers do that. And so, this has deep roots for us, but I won't go into Gnosticism specifically because we covered it recently. Secondly, there's transhumanism, 
which I've mentioned uh, recently as well and talked, uh, the whole series Church in the Eye World looked a lot at this. And this is the idea that we're going to help humans evolve beyond our current state. And what they're doing is they're not trying to evolve us mentally or in our soul. They're trying to evolve our bodies. So this is where they start talking about actually injecting nanobots into us and helping us because in this view, the, the body is simply an inconvenient shell. I tried to queue up last night and something had told me I had it free and it wasn't. But there was an old movie called The Ghost in the Shell, Okay. Wasn't that great a movie, but I was going to watch it since I was talking about it today. But that's the idea. No, no, you, the, the real you is just a ghost inside the shell, and the body is at best inconvenient, and hopefully one day we can discard it. This is the idea. Again, Ray Kurzweil at Google, I'm going to download myself and have a digital form of me because that's what's important. The body does not matter. Now, when you start thinking that way, it's a logical step to come to what is now the transgender movement in our culture. This has been a shock to many people over the last several years as we've started hearing about the LGBTQ plus spectrum and looking at all of this. But if you've been paying attention, we should have seen this coming. The arc has been bent this way for hundreds of years in our society. And the basis of the transgender movement is I am what I determine I am. It does not matter what my body says. My body has no say in the matter. So if I was born biologically male, not to get too technical, but including I have a prostate, including I have certain sexual organs, and Every cell in my body has an XY chromosome. Guess what that means? Nothing. Nada. Zip. Because I've decided in my soul, the real me has decided that is wrong. Literally, every cell in my body is wrong. So if I say I feel like a woman, the scientific, physical reality of my body does not matter. All that matters is what I think or feel. Now, if you don't believe this, then you can go back and queue up when Bruce Jenner, who if you're my age, you remember being the ultimate male, winning in the Olympics and doing all that, came out and announced Bruce was always a lie. I am Caitlin. That's what everybody remember when that happened. And if you watch the way he refers to himself, Bruce was never real. He really was always Caitlin. It was just that, you know, he had to try and fit in with what everybody else wanted. Now, this is an obvious denial of biology and physical reality, okay? Now, I'm going to just throw out a, a few uh, facts here. A couple of years ago, there was a case, because part of this movement is if a person says, well, I'm actually female, but I was born trapped in a male body, and I, and I transition, and say I'm a high school runner, then uh, which group do I compete with? Do I compete against males, which is what I was born, or do I compete against females, which is what I identify as? I compete against females. Well, in Connecticut, the two top women who had been one and two in the state 
found themselves suddenly losing virtually every meet because a couple of transgender who were born male and now identified as female were winning all of the meets. And in part of their uh, defense saying this was wrong, this is not fair, I've worked my whole life and I can't possibly compete, they pointed out this fact. Allison Felix, who if you follow any kind of track and field, I love running. So Allison Felix is arguably the greatest female sprinter of all time. She's won more gold medals than Usain Bolt. Her lifetime best in the 400 meter is 49.26 seconds. In 2018, that does not place her in the top 300 high school boys in America greatest female sprinter ever, not in the top 300 boys in America. If you've ever been around and you've watched this, you would realize it. I didn't realize until I was reading an article the other day, the uh, fastest male mile right now is like a 436. I did not realize women have still not broken the, the four-minute mile. They're not even close. Male's like 336, and the woman, I think, is 412. I watched a kid who later became the Olympic champion in the mile, but I watched him run in high school and drop a 4.02 as a high school, which means he was 10 seconds faster than the fastest mile ever. But none of that matters, is what's being said, because the body is really just an illusion. And so even after hormone therapy, surgery, years of transitioning, the body is still male because if you pull out a cell and put it under a microscope and hand it to a scientist or a doctor, guess what they can tell you? That's a male cell. It's got XY chromosomes. It's not a female cell. It's a male cell. There's greater bone density. There's greater ability to process oxygen, greater ability to create muscle. It's vastly undermining women's sports at this time right now as record after record after record is being shattered, shockingly, because the people who have transitioned, declared themselves to be women, are still stronger and faster. It's inherently unfair. Now, what this has led to is, and this is the problem whenever you try to discard the way God has made things, there is an absolute war within the LGBTQ plus community and the feminist community. This occasionally busts out into the press. They, they try to keep this quiet. But if you just think about it, what I just told you a minute ago, five years ago, the entire basis for the lesbian and gay movement before the Supreme Court was, we're born this way. My body determines what I am. I can't control that. And now the transgender movement, and to a certain extent the, the queer movement, the Q in it, are both saying, no, the body doesn't matter at all. On one side, it's the body is everything. On the other side, it's the body is nothing. That's a little bit of a problem. That's a little distinction. And yet they're fused together into one movement. If you think about it, the entire basis of being a lesbian is you're a woman who's in love with a woman. But the problem is the transgender movement says there is no such thing as a woman. You're not a woman. That other person's not a woman. None of that actually exists. For the same reason, it's having huge problems within feminism. There's actually a group of feminists that are now referred to as TERF, which is trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And what this means is you're a feminist the way every feminist was 
prior to just a few years ago because the entire point of feminism is women have had a certain experience that is dictated by their body and what's going on in society, and it's about being a woman, which, of course, doesn't work if there is no such thing as a woman in the first place. And I want to point out this is actually the far greater danger today. The far greater danger going on in our culture right now is the denial of the human body rather than the denial of the human soul. But in all of these ideas, whether one's a Gnostic, a transhumanist, or part of the LGBTQ plus uh, ideology, the underlying idea is that the human body is irrelevant or it's simply an obstacle that has to be overcome so the real me can be expressed. And this is fused with, you know, this whole idea of identity politics, that identity, especially gender identity, trumps biology. And once again, if you dare to point out biological reality, you are simply a bigot who must be canceled. you got to be removed from society. Now, that may seem like a really strong statement, but let me give a few things. And, and the funny thing is two of the four examples I'm going to use just happened this week. First, there was a man named Ryan T. Anderson, who he's an egghead that works in uh, scholarly think tanks. And he had written a book a few years ago called When Harry Became Sally, Responding to Our Transgender Moment. And When Harry Became Sally was actually a bestseller. Within its category, it was the bestseller list. He got notified by Amazon last week, we've removed your book because it does not meet our content standards. Now, I went out and Googled on Amazon, you know, or checked on Amazon, I searched for it. Not only is the book, it's not that it's, you, you have to wait, it's on back order, we're researching. They act as if the book never existed. You can't find any record of the fact that Amazon has sold it for the last three years. The content is a problem. Now, Ryan Anderson himself pointed out, well, this is interesting because what I can buy on Amazon is Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. Apparently, the Bible of Nazism and the concentration camps and the destruction of six million Jews, that content's okay to sell. But if you question transgender ideology, Amazon cancels you. Second example, maybe you say, well, but you know, he is a white heterosexual male and he's arguing against this. A few years ago, J.K. Rowling, who's a darling in culture, she wrote the Harry Potter series, she noticed that there was an article that was popular and it was called, you can tell how recent this is by the title, Create a more equal post-COVID-19 world for people who menstruate. That was the title of the article. Rowling tweeted this, people who menstruate. I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Wombin, Wimpund, Woomud. Huge firestorm against her. She was told in no uncertain terms, shut your mouth. Now Rowling came out and said, uh, been a feminist for years, supported gay marriage, have worked actually believe in transgender rights, but she said this, if sex isn't real, 
then there's no same-sex attraction. If sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth. Except for she was told it is hate to speak the truth. And she was shouted down. Now, maybe, yes, but she's not, you know, far enough and part of the community. Well, around the same time, Martina Navratilova, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, who came out as a lesbian back at the height of her career, women's tennis champion, well-known lesbian, lauded by LGBTQ plus organizations the world over, came out and said, yeah, you can't have people who were men and transitioned to being women compete against women. It's inherently unfair. She got blacklisted by a whole bunch of organizations. Awards were retracted because you can't say that. And then I had already finished my outline, and I was sitting downstairs reading the other day, and I read an article in Newsweek, Newsweek op-ed, by Scott Nugent, who I'd never heard of before. And the title of it was, We Need Balance When It Comes to Gender Dysphoric Kids. And the argument in the article is, look, kids who are suffering from gender dysphoria, you cannot start giving them puberty blockers. You can't start doing surgery to their bodies. This needs to wait until they're adults when they can properly process the danger person has been called transphobic for being this, at which point Scott Nugent says, I am trans. I was born a woman. I took all the drugs. I went through all the surgery. I identify as a guy. I've done this for years. It doesn't matter. Shut your mouth. You're transphobic. Because if you don't follow the entire thing, there is no place for you. Now, that's where we're at as a culture. Make no mistake about it, okay? When this is heard by anybody out there, I'm already beyond canceled. And if you're my friend, you're going to get canceled too, okay? But it's good. The water's fine. Come on in. <laughs> Look, Scripture teaches the reality and importance of the human body and says it's essential to my identity. And that includes whether a person is male or female. And this can't be ignored. It cannot be altered. And here's another secret. It's going to continue with you into eternity. Your body is going to be raised. And you are still going to be the fusion of you, your body and your soul, into eternity. Paul makes much of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so the freedom of rejecting the human body is an illusion that leads to the bondage of ever-increasing foolishness, destructive behavior of attacking the body rather than receiving as a gift. A couple of years ago, I read a book by a, a man named Oliver Sacks. I love reading books about our minds. And in this particular book, he was talking about a thing that happens to human beings. Now, this sounds strange. And please, in everything I'm saying this morning, none of this is funny. This is all very sad. There are people who wake up and something has happened in their brain and they literally will look at their arm and say, that is not my arm. 
And they get irate and they want a doctor to physically remove that appendage because it's not them. Now let me ask you a question. If I went to a doctor and asked them to remove my arm because I said it's not my arm, who thinks the doctor would remove my arm? In fact, if the doctor removed my arm, I can tell you what's going to happen. They would get sued for malpractice. They would lose their license. They might get locked up. But if I go and say, yes, I was born with the prostate. Yes, I was born with male body parts. Yes, every cell in my body is an XY chromosome. But I identify that this is wrong. Will you let's be blunt, attack my body, start removing things from my body, injecting alien substances in my body so that I can have what used to be referred to as gender realignment. Now it's called gender affirmation surgery. If I refuse to do that as a doctor, what might happen to me? You're in trouble. And and it's the same thing. It is the exact same thing. Friends, when someone's in that place, and please hear me, I say this with compassion. If I wake up tomorrow and think my right arm is not my arm, it's not compassion to say, you're right, Brett, let's take it off. Pray for me. Help me get counseling. Work through with me. But my body does not need to be realigned. The arm is mine. And if I wake up tomorrow and decide I'm not actually male, I need the same response. Compassion is coming to me and saying, actually, every cell in your body is, and we need to try and work with you. What needs to be realigned is your soul, not your body. And we don't need to start hacking away at it. Now, I want to turn and and just think through a couple things quickly before we come to the Lord's table about how we apply this, because we talked about what the Scripture is, and then we've talked about where we are as our culture. So I want to talk to us in applying this about living in a culture that divides body and soul, because that's what underlies all this. We're dividing our body and our soul. We're denying the way we were made. Now, I remind you of the quote that I used as an intro last week. Put it up here by Justice Kennedy. Remember, see, this is, this is what lies at our modern notion. At the heart of liberty, this is what freedom is, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, the universe of the mystery of human life. Now, Justice Kennedy wasn't thinking at the moment that that's exactly what many people today would say, yes, and, I, and my reality is my body's wrong. It's not aligned with me. But see, underneath it all, there is a relentless assault to separate the body and the soul to radically redefine what it means to be human. So how do we handle this as believers? Let me say a couple things. Number one, we cannot be seduced by this. Friend, you are what you are. A human is what God made a human to be. And declaring myself to be something else does not lead to freedom. If I declare myself to be an aardvark from the planet Alderaan, it does not make me one. I'm a human being 
with all the dignity and the limits of what it means to be a human. And so we cannot be seduced. And I bring this up because this false view I'm talking about, so you can sit in here in this context and say, wow, this sounds crazy. But when you go back out, it is in the news, it is all over the internet, it is in all kinds of TV shows and movies and everything else. It is a relentless agenda that is being pushed at us constantly. Now, I just heard two surveys this week, interestingly enough. One of them is asking the average American what percentage of the American population is LBGTQ+. The average answer is 20%. The other survey is asking people, are you actually LGBTQ+, which is probably overreported because you don't have to prove you're doing anything. It's just a, it's actually 5%. And that's after a big, huge leap Okay, but why do people think it's 20%? Because you can't turn on TV, you can't read the news, you can't watch a movie or TV show without this being pressed upon you. And in fact, there is government policy. You may have heard that Congress has passed now a rule saying you can't use egregious terms like mother and father, brother and sister. I wish I were making it up. I wish this was just out of Orwell's nightmare, but it is not. So you and I have to actively have our minds and our hearts washed and renewed by God's Spirit and Word each day. I say this constantly, but it has never been more important. You need God's mind to be. The realignment you need and I need is I need mental and soul realignment every day to put me back to what is truth. We have to actively press into the community of God's people, gathering for corporate worship. I again want to say, when we move back outside, I want to encourage for everybody who's watching and can't come inside, we, we understand. We will continue shepherding faithfully. But when we move outside, if at all possible, please come. You need to be part of a community because every day what you're hearing is it makes you sound like you're the strange person when you believe, no, I have a body and a soul, and, and they're both important, and I am what I was born to be. You start feeling like you're the only person that thinks that way, but you're not. And as we gather as a community, we are washed by the Spirit and the Word. And we are reminded we are part of the people of God who have been speaking about this for thousands of years. And I encourage you, get in a connect group. You need not just once a week, but day by day. We need to be encouraging one another that know this is the truth and this is how we stand. If you're a parent, let me say briefly, you have to talk with your children about these issues. And I am so sorry. I, I hated that when my kids, the, the summer of their fifth grade, I had them read a book that included stuff on human sexuality and dad had to go out and have the talk with me. And I thought they were still a little bit too young, but I had no choice because I knew the culture was going to force this upon me. Well, it's being forced upon you as a parent now, including all of this. Especially, I have to say, the number of young girls who are experiencing gender dysphoria because, first off, they're given all these insane, that they get some woman that's nearly anorexic and then they spend 5,000 hours with 20 people airbrushing everything and put it up and say, This is what you should look like. 
And then we wonder why she feels inadequate. And then she's told over and over and over again, maybe it's because you really are a guy. It's, it's insanity what's going on. We must talk to our kids. Educate yourself. Talk with them. There's stuff in the discussion guide this week about other teachings. There's also a book if you are interested. This is a bit of a deep dive. It's about 450 pages, but it's a book I highly recommend. Uh, it's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. It requires effort, but it's well worth it. It'll help you understand how we got here. And I've actually got two, if 450 pages sounds like too much, and I understand for some people it may be a struggle, then dive in. Uh, I, I link two interviews where they're about an hour-long interview where he's going through the information and talking about it. But we have to be educated. And then uh, two last things no, that deal with engaging outside of the community. Number one, we have to engage in spiritual warfare. Friends, this is spiritual warfare. We have to do it for our family for our friends and our culture. And please hear me on this. I don't wade into this stuff often. Politics is not going to solve this. I don't care who you elect. The problem is many of these things I'm saying you're shaking your heads at, your neighbors say, yeah, that sounds right to me. And it doesn't matter who you elect to Congress, who you put on the Supreme Court bench, who you have sitting in the White House. It doesn't matter if the whole culture is buying into this other way of thinking. There's only one thing we can do. We need to be on our knees. We need to be crying out. We need to be doing spiritual warfare for this culture. Friends, we have a deep, deep spiritual sickness. The soul of our culture is sick. And the only thing that can change it is the Spirit of God. Please do spiritual warfare. And then, when you engage with people of opposing views, especially somebody who is LGBTQ+, please don't try and get witty. Don't make fun of them. If I told you this arm was not mine, and I, and I mean, and you, you, you talk with me, and I was convinced this is not my arm, you would not go out and start cracking jokes about me. You'd be saying, man, he's... Man, i got to pray for Brett. He's got real confusion and problems. Friends, that's exactly how we ought to be thinking regarding folks who are, are trapped in this. We need to respond with compassion and kindness, and we work to establish relationship. Let me be clear. I can't go along. I, I, I can't agree with someone that says they've transitioned. They are not what they were born to be. I, I can't go along but I can certainly act with compassion and kindness and then respond in prayer and labor and work. It's imperative for us to do this. Now, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And this table of freedom, one of the things I want to encourage you to think about to show how, how deep the link is between body and soul, and there's a lot of things that I could have, I could do an entire series on this, but do you notice that our sacraments that work on our soul are very physical. Because we're reminded every time we come to the Lord's table, you can't separate body and soul. You can't do that. The two go together. During Lent, people sometimes fast. But we're doing that for a spiritual 
practice. It's a physical thing, but it is a spiritual practice. And so we come to this table this morning for all the reasons that we do, but I want you to think about the fact that God promises to meet you here and through this physical act to feed your very soul. Because the freedom you long for, and I long for, is not found in separating what God has joined together, but in embracing it the way God has made it. So brothers and sisters, I declare to you the mystery of this table. Is not the cup for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that all of your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and get the packets ready, and we will come to the table. Lord, Bread is a source of life for our physical bodies, nourishing and sustaining us for our years on this earth. But in Jesus Christ, we've been given the true bread of life, which nourishes and sustains us body and soul for this age and the age to come. This morning we take this bread in faith believing that Jesus alone is our salvation, knowing that you are more precious than life itself, and looking forward to the day when in our resurrected bodies we will eat with you face to face. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, you have given wine to gladden the heart of man refreshing us and filling us with joy as we journey through this life. But in Jesus Christ, we've been given the true cup of life, which nourishes and refreshes us body and soul for this age and the age to come. So we take this cup in faith, believing that the blood of Christ cleanses us from every sin knowing that it has sealed us as your covenant people, which is better than all the joys and false promises of this age, and looking forward to the day when in our resurrected bodies we will drink the cup from your very hand. Friends, take and drink the cup of life. Let's stand together. And as I conclude in prayer, join in with me.
and then I'll speak God's word of blessing over us. O Lord our God, you are the maker of heaven and earth, things visible and invisible, our body and our soul. At this table we have eaten physical bread and drank from a physical cup, but by your Spirit we have shared in the body and blood of Christ, feeding our souls with grace, freshly receiving all the benefits of being your covenant child. Lord, we cry out, empower us now by that same Spirit, so that we might serve you body and soul, loving you with all of our hearts, pleasing you with all our thoughts and words, and obeying your will in all our bodily deeds. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, and if you agree, say amen. Now, friends, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Friends, go forth blessed in body and soul, and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.